Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the river Jordan. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt round his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. Well, good evening. It's great to be with you, and I look forward to meeting lots of you after the service. Um, Do keep Mark chapter 1 open in front of you. If you've got a Bible there, it'll help me. We'll be looking at that together, and I'm going to pray for the Lord's help as we come to look at it together. Lord God, your word says that the one you esteem is the one who is humble and contrite and trembles at your word. We pray that this evening you would give us such an attitude as we come to the Bible. Please help us to understand what it says. Please help me to be clear. But most of all, please help us in our hearts to receive it with a right and reverent attitude. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Well, we've been talking about news a bit already, but I wonder, let me ask you, what is the biggest news story, the biggest news that you have ever received? Uh, Of course, there's some news that when we receive it, it changes everything. Uh, There are some news stories that are so big that it's said that you never forget where you were when you heard them. And I guess it depends how old you are, whether there have been one or a number of moments like that in your life where you've received news like that. Uh, One of the ones that stands out for me on an international scale is um, September the 11th, 2001. And I'll never forget where I was when I saw that sort of iconic and terrible image of those planes crashing into the Twin Towers. And I wonder if you can think if there have been many occasions in your life where you've heard news and you just, well, you, you could never forget where you were when you got the news. Uh, Maybe uh, there's personal news that we've received that changes everything. Uh, It could have been exam results and you're off to the college or the university that you long to go to. Uh, Maybe it was the news that the pregnancy test was positive and you're having a baby or some test from the doctor and the news as you receive it, it changes everything about your outlook. Well, as we um, look at this passage at the beginning of Mark's book here in Mark chapter 1, he begins by saying the beginning of the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that word gospel, we've mentioned that it means good news, but I think because it's a familiar word, we lose the impact of what Mark is saying right at the beginning here, because um, good news sounds quite sort of bland, doesn't it? It sounds a bit anodyne and a bit vanilla to receive good news. You know, it's good news that it was sunny today. What Mark means here is jaw-dropping, momentous, never forget where you were when you heard it, changes everything sort of news. 
Uh, The word gospel or good news, it was used typically in two ways in the first century. Uh, It was used for the news of a new king being born and it was used uh, for news that war was over and peace had begun. A hundred years ago, uh, young men were fighting in the Somme and dying at this time of year. And I think it was about half a million on either side died during that battle. Imagine how people felt as they received the news two years later that war was over, the armistice had begun. That's the sort of news that Mark says he is bringing in his book, his gospel. Jaw-dropping, you'll never forget where you were when you heard it, changes everything sort of news, says Mark. And we'll dig into what he says the news is, but let's just pause before we do and notice that Mark does say that what Christianity is all about is news, It is historical what Mark is dealing with here. We've said already that Christianity isn't just about being a good person. It's not a philosophy or a system of ethics or a mystical experience. Mark says up front, Christianity is about news. It's about something jaw-dropping that happened in history. I don't know if you are familiar with the idea of the uh, six degrees of Kevin Bacon you come across that it's the idea that um, given the number of people there are in the world whoever you are you are only six degrees separated from the Hollywood actor Kevin Bacon so you know someone who knows 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 Kevin Bacon given the size of the world that is true well here in Mark's gospel as we read it together we are only two degrees of separation from Jesus Christ you see Mark knew Peter, and Peter knew Jesus. Peter, in fact, was his best friend for three years. He was there. He saw the major events of Jesus' life, heard his teaching, saw him die, and rise again from the dead. And as we read this, we're dealing with real news, just two degrees separated from the real Jesus, the Jesus of history. And Mark says that what Jesus had to say and do was momentous. It was huge. So what is it that Mark wants us to know about this Jesus of Nazareth? Well, the first thing he wants us to know is that here, in the first century, at this point in history, the king has come. The king has come. Just look again at verse one with me. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus, the Christ, the son of God. And that word Christ, you'll know that that's not Jesus's surname, it's a title. Literally, it means the anointed one. You know, when God's um, chosen king was sat on his throne at his coronation, he wasn't just given a crown, he was anointed on the head with oil. And so it means the anointed one, the king that God had chosen. And Mark is saying the news is that this man, this historical person, Jesus of Nazareth, is king, God's chosen king, and son of God, And again, if you read the Old Testament, read um, Psalm 2, for example. Son of God is actually a title that is associated with God's chosen king. So when Mark says the gospel about Jesus, the Christ, the son of God, he's really underlining the same point twice. He's saying, don't miss it the first time. This guy is the king that we're talking about. This Jesus is King Jesus. Now, of course, um, If you've read the Old Testament at all, um, the people of God had had many kings over many generations. And to be honest, more than a few of the kings had really let them down. 
None of them had delivered the sort of um, hope that the people had of life with God in communion forever. But Mark wants us to know that this king, Jesus of Nazareth, is the king to deliver all that God has promised. Just look at verse two with me. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. Now there are actually two Old Testament quotes here. Uh, The first one in verse two is from Malachi chapter three. And then the one in verse three is from Isaiah chapter 40. It's the one that was read as our first reading this evening. And the sort of, if you like, the last section of the prophets in the Old Testament begins with Isaiah. He's the big boy at the top. And then Malachi is at the end. And so that's probably why Mark refers to it as Isaiah the prophet. Because Isaiah is the kind of leading prophet at the start of that section. But beginning and end of that section, there are these two promises And the first one, verse two, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. Now, um, Malachi 3, God's people were far from him. And um, just before this quote, they're crying out, where is the God of justice? You see, they're saying, why bother in a world where people sin against God all the time Why bother living for God in that sort of world? He doesn't seem to do anything anyway. Where is the God of justice? Where's the God who will fix the world that we live in? But God says, well, since you ask, I'm coming. And I'm going to fix the world in which you live. In fact, more than that, I'm going to send a messenger ahead of of you who will be, um, chapter four tells us, will be like Elijah, the prophet from the Old Testament. He's going to be like, um, um, you know when there's a big blockbuster film coming out in the summer, and um, for months beforehand you have trailers with um, some of the best bits in the trailers, and um, you have posters saying, um, what was it, Ghostbusters. I felt like for a year before Ghostbusters was coming out, everywhere I looked there were pictures of sort of um, um, slimy ghosts saying, Ghostbusters is coming. And um, God says there'll be a messenger who will be like the trailer who will say, he's coming, get ready. And then I'm going to come, the Lord says, And I'm going to be the king that you need. I'm going to clean things up in this world. I'm going to make things the way that they ought to be. And up top, Mark says, as we come to meet this historical person, Jesus of Nazareth, that we're being introduced to God come as king. Actually, the quote from Isaiah 40 in verse 3 makes a very similar point. Uh, We heard it read, uh, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, uh, in the desert rather, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. See, once again, you have God's people in a place of darkness and um, frankly, they're despairing and God says, comfort, comfort my people in Isaiah 40. You see, again, there'll be a voice in that moment in the desert, in the wilderness, that will cry out, God is coming. And it's a picture of a new exodus. Uh, Maybe you know the story of the exodus in the Old Testament, how God led his people out of slavery in Egypt and brought them into a promised land. And again, in Isaiah 40, God says, I'm going to come and do that again. 
I'm going to be the leader to my people. I'm going to be the king that you need who will bring you out and into the place of rest, who will fix all that is broken in this messed up world in which we live. But you see, in both of those prophecies, there's a, there's a kind of common thread because you've got the messenger, the voice, you've got the trailer, and he's saying, get ready because God is going to come and be the king that you need. And here Mark says, in the first century, in the wilderness of Judea, was a man who was that messenger. Verse four, and so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt round his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And Mark is saying this man, John the Baptist, out there in the desert as the crowds come to him, he was that messenger. He was the trailer letting the people know that God was coming to be their king. Uh, Just notice verse four, that he was preaching. He came not just baptizing, but preaching a message. Here is a voice out, verse four, in the desert region. And then there's his clothes, Verse six, John wore clothing made of camel's hair, leather belt round his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And you know, let's be honest, when we first read this, this doesn't sort of instantly resonate with us, does it? Maybe it sounds like a sort of, um, sort of slightly hairy hipster with a new fad diet or something like that. You know, hair shirt, looks a bit unfashionable, eating insects, what's that all about? Okay, but if we were a first century Jew... Uh, if we were familiar with the Old Testament, with the books of one and two kings, the prophet Elijah is constantly described as dressed like this. You see, again, Mark wants to point us to this man, John the Baptist, and say, he's the trailer. He's the Elijah come to let you know that God is coming to be the king that you need. And then, of course, there's his message. Verse seven, after me, one will come more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. You see, the Old Testament prophecies for hundreds of years said that God was coming to be king. And here is the messenger saying, look, he's right here. Verse nine, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. And this is the man, this is God come to be the king that we need. And of course, um, you can read on in Mark's gospel or you've got a series coming up in Luke's gospel, I'm told, in the evenings here and see all of the evidence as we're allowed to glimpse through the keyhole and see the new world that this king is bringing as he does things that only God could do to show us that he is the king that we need, stepping down onto the pages of human history. And of course, the question is, this Jesus at the Old Testament and that John the Baptist point to, do we recognize him as our king? 
Uh, just a couple of days ago, I was walking to my local Marks and Spencers, and don't worry, I am going somewhere with this. Um, there's a very narrow um, piece of pavement uh, on the way up to Marks and Spencers in Seven Oaks, where I live. And um, on the way in, um, I-, I was walking towards a sort of um, a-, a lady in her 30s, uh, Afro-Caribbean lady with a toddler, and um, we did that sort of, you know, that dance that you do when um, you're trying to avoid them and they're trying to avoid you. And, and in the end, we sort of made eye contact and smiled sheepishly at one another and I sort of stood out of the way and let this lady and her toddler go by and it was only once um, she was safely out of earshot that Jess my wife sort of put her hand on my shoulder and said Andy um, you do know that was Dame Kelly Holmes don't you I'd stood there probably a foot away from her and looked her in the face and smiled sheepishly at her and I'd been totally oblivious to who she really was and um, maybe you've had that sort of socially awkward situation as well But I think for lots of people, when it comes to Christianity, they can be familiar with church, or maybe they've done REA level, or maybe they grew up in a Sunday school, and they know something about Jesus, but they've never seen who he really is. God come to be the king that we need. And the question is, do we recognize him as who he is? The Old Testament, hundreds of years of prophecy, John the Baptist, they stand at the beginning of Mark's gospel and they point to this man, Jesus of Nazareth, and they say, don't miss who he is. God, come to be our king. And so Mark says this is momentous news. The king, the promised king who will fix all that is broken with our world has come. But there's more to what he wants to say to us because secondly, he says the king has come to bring forgiveness. The king has come to bring forgiveness. Uh, we saw in verses two and three, those Old Testament prophecy, uh, prophecies that God would come to be the king that we need, to bring a kingdom and to fix a broken world. But the question is, what will that look like? How will he do it? How will it begin? We'll look down at what John um, preaches. We'll look at his message in verse four. And so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Just notice that phrase there, the forgiveness of sins. I wonder if that's a surprise to us. We've been talking about a world that is broken, that needs to be made new. And John says that it begins with the forgiveness of sins. Now, that might sound like a strange thing to us. Uh, You might know the story. In the early 20th century, the Times of London had an editorial where they asked people to write in and say what they thought um, the biggest problem with the world was at the beginning of the 20th century. And you could think there are many things you could write into that. Uh, One writer, G.K. Chesterton, wrote in reportedly and very simply said, Dear sirs, I am G.K. Chesterton. And it might sound like a blunt analysis, but when we think about it, when we really look at humanity's contribution to our world, for all the good and right things that we see, we have to be honest and say that in lots of ways, what's wrong with our world is us. Dear sirs, I am. Uh, If we're honest, we don't love people the way that we ought to. 
Humanity hasn't done brilliantly. There's a great divide between rich and poor throughout the world. Uh, Governments um, uh, pay lip service to dealing with the problems of our world while the poorest suffer and starve. And to be honest, day to day, there are things that we wish that we hadn't done and said to one another. Uh, The Bible talks about sin as being at the heart of the problem with our world. And the message here is one of forgiveness. See, the problem is that um, in a world where God is king, who made the world, uh, that you and I tend to put the crown on our own heads and say, actually, I will um, set the direction and parameters of my life. Uh, Perhaps God can have um, a bit of a say, but when it comes down to it, I'm going to make the decisions. And of course, that means that we're no good at loving one another either. We're bound to collide with one another. I just picture a set of traffic lights for a minute. Um, assume that I'm quite traditional, and as I approach the traffic lights, I say, well, I, I'm going to go with the traditional system where red means stop and green means go. But perhaps you're of a more um, liberal tendency. And so as you approach the traffic lights, well, with the crown firmly on your head in charge of your life, you say to yourself, well, for me, <clears throat> for me green is going to mean stop and red is going to mean go. Well, at some point, those two truth claims are going to collide, aren't they? And someone's going to get hurt. And the problem is that we don't love God in the way that we should and let him wear the crown in our lives. And so we don't love other people in the way that we should either. We collide all the time and we see it all over our worlds. And if we're honest, we see it from time to time in our lives as well, don't we? And the forgiveness of sins is where the kingdom of God, the new world, begins. And baptism, John's baptism, is a picture of washing. You know, my son is um, just two years old, and I feel like I spend half my life washing the poor boy's hands after he's um, put them in any, you know, the cat's litter tray, or he's, um, he's gone and picked up goodness knows what off the floor, and I have to wash his hands. And baptism, it's a picture of washing. But what if the problem is on the inside? What if it's my heart That is the problem. Well, verse eight, John says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. See, here is a king who comes to wash us clean on the inside. Everything that we have done against God and man, forgiven and washed away by this king. And the very life of God come to dwell within us. John the Baptist says that this king is incredible news. And his kingdom begins with forgiveness for every person who trusts in him and the gift of the Holy Spirit. But of course, there's one more key word in John's message. Have a look at verse four again. John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And this really gets to the bottom of the right response to this message of a great king who comes to forgive us. A baptism of repentance. I guess you'll know, um, repent doesn't mean feel bad. It's not a sort of religious word for feeling guilty, although clearly in verse five it does involve confessing their sins. But repent really means change your mind. Change your mind about things. You know, as I was driving up here, I had to make a choice of two different routes to Sheffield. And at one point, I changed my mind. 
I didn't feel bad. I didn't feel guilty about it. I just changed my mind. But here we have a form of repentance, a changing your mind, which does involve the confession of sins. It means admitting that we've had the crown on our own heads. But it means more than that because it means changing our minds about King Jesus and about ourselves. It means taking the crown off my own head and placing it at Jesus' feet and saying, I need you to be the king of my world and I need you to forgive me and wash me clean. And this is the response to a king who comes to fix the world but begins that work by forgiving us and washing us clean. And look, um, it might be that you're here and actually you're quite new to Christian things and um, you haven't really dug into the evidence of um, who Jesus is yet. This is one of the first pictures you've really been given of him. And um, if that's you, just one word to you. Um, It's been said that 21st century people, when we come to something new, um, we don't ask, is it true or does it work? We ask, am I comfortable with it? Does it fit my existing way of understanding things? And I don't know if that's true or not, but let me encourage you. I mean, more than that, let me plead with you, really. If you're looking into Christian things, please don't settle for an easy sort of semi-skimmed spirituality, which is just comfortable with where you stand on things. King Jesus is not comfortable He challenges us. He challenges our culture. He calls us to change our mind about things. He is not comfortable, but he is real and he's good. Would you invest yourself in meeting the real Jesus? I'd like to encourage you to do that. Um, As I said, there's a series coming up on Luke's gospel. And actually, that would be a great way to um, come face to face with the real Jesus of history, the one recorded by the eyewitnesses in the Bible. Um, But if you want to take things further, invest yourself in it more. Why not talk to Paul or talk to me afterwards? And actually, we would love to find a way to link you up with a group or something where you could really ask the questions and get to know the Jesus who, well, he's not comfortable, but he is good. I guess for many of you here, though, actually, you'll have been here for quite a long time. Um, I'm new here. I, I don't know you. I don't know how long you've been coming. It may be that you've been here since, um, you know, Sheffield was a very different city and Sheffield Wednesday was still good at football and all of that sort of stuff. And um, actually, if um, maybe I've touched a nerve there, um, look forward to meeting you afterwards. Uh, please um, forgive, forgive the new boy. Um, uh, it, but it might be that you've been here for a long, long time. And actually, you're very familiar with the stories about Jesus, the eyewitness accounts in the Bible. And you might be very sympathetic towards what he teaches. And I don't know you, but I am all too aware that it's possible to sit in a church and be sympathetic to what you hear, but never really get personal with Jesus Christ. And so it's only right for me to ask you this evening, given that Jesus is God come to be king come to offer us forgiveness and cleansing, have you repented? I mean, have you ever got down on your knees and prayed to God and said, King Jesus, I want you to be my king. Please forgive me for the way that I've treated you and other people and rule my life. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? If you haven't, I would love to talk to you about that. I'd love to pray with you. 
Um, but actually, it might be that you're sitting there and you're saying, well, yes, I can remember very clearly that I have turned to Jesus and I'm trusting him. And I'd like to just finish by, um, by saying, really, all I want to do this evening is to remind you of just how awesome Jesus Christ really is. That he's not some um, small thing. It's not a trivial message that we hear as we open the Bible. It's the message of a God who comes to be the king that we really need, the one who can forgive us. Uh, I guess this week there'll be all sorts of messages that we hear, all sorts of news that we receive. Uh, It might be the big stories on the BBC News app, or it might be the personal things at work, at school, at university that come to us. And um, the temptation will always be for those things to loom large and to be the really big news in our lives. And for this news, that Jesus is king, to get smaller and smaller. And so I just want to remind you this Sunday evening that Mark says that this is the biggest story the world has ever received. Hundreds of years, God promised that he would come to be the king that we would need and to fix all that is broken with our world. The messenger, John the Baptist, points very clearly to Jesus of Nazareth and says, this is it. The king has come and we can be forgiven. And is that not the most glorious news that you've ever heard? Well, let me pray. Our Lord God, we want to praise and thank you that the king you promised has come to us, the Lord Jesus Christ, that you have come to be king. I want to thank you for his gift of forgiveness and pray that you would grant us a repentant heart each day. Help us to keep that news front and centre in our lives. For his name's sake, amen.